everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. To learn more about the PNWA, head on over to pnwa.org. Had a return guest, Gary Gock. I had him on when he had Breathe, Pause, Smile a few years ago. He's got a new book out, Translated Poems of Hafez's, called Hafez's Little Book of Life. And, you know, you talk to Gary, it's going to get philosophical. And it did, which is good, because I'm kind of a philosophical guy. Hope you like it. It got pretty interesting. Uh, Gary is, well, he's he's got 10 books to his name. He's the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Buddhism, Pause, Breathe, Smile, and Writers.net. Uh, he's the editor of What Book? Uh, Buddha Poems from Beat to Hip Hop, and, uh, and the translator of three books of poetry by Ko Un. His work has appeared in over 150 journals and a dozen anthologies, including the Atlantic Coyotes Journal, Harvard Divinity, Bulletin, Hambone, In These Times, Conch, The Nation, The New Yorker, Technicians of the Sacred, Yoga Journal, and Ziziva. A student of Vietnamese Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, he's been hosting Zen Mindfulness Fellowships Weekly in San Francisco for 15 years. Yeah, like I said, we got into it. We got into what life's about, what writing's about, what mindfulness is about. Yeah, we did. So I'm glad I get to share this awesome conversation with you now. Enjoy. Okay, he's back. He's back with another book. It's Gary Gock. Gary, how you feeling? How you feeling about this new book, new project? Bill, if if I never do another book, this is the greatest book I've ever done. Now, don't lie to me. Is this true? Is this true? Well, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Buddhism is my biggest book right. because it sold the most. Right. But this is but the one you're most pleased with. This is it. This is it's it. all floating downward on ascending wings from here on out. The book we're talking about is, this is translated, Hafez, it's, it's, you know, I've often... My agent actually released a book with someone else on Hafez. Hafez, not Hafez, Hafez, right? Am I pronouncing it correctly? It's my agent too, Bill. Oh, that's right. We share an agent. I forgot that. Okay. <laughs> H-I-F-I-Z, but it's Hafez, right? So his name is Hafez. Right. In Persian. Right. And in Arabic, it's Hafez. Oh, boy. That's okay. Well, how do you and- pronounce it? And there was a little arm wrestle, thumb wrestling about that before. Okay, it's it's Hafez for the okay. book, but it's I say Hafez. Okay, so Hafez little. There's book an of interesting life. backstory about that, but let's bracket well, that. It's the little book of life. We're gonna. I want to come back to it. It's just beautiful, beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff. And um, every time I'm I'm reunited again. I did. I wasn't familiar with his work until recently. And um, I just love it every time I get to I read it again. So oh. thank you for sharing it. But um, you have a long and interesting relationship to writing books. Um, you've sort of done a little bit of everything in a way. Do you, I mean, you've written, you've edited, you've agented, you've taught. Um, 
And it started young, started young for, I mean, you were, your family was, your father was a writer. Is that right? My father was a publicist who oh, right. took on the job because he had children and abandoned his writing career. And I've inherited his unpublished novel, his screenplay, wow. all that stuff. Oh no, he did. I'm take that back. Dad, may his memory be a blessing. <laughs> wrote a book called In the Army Now where he wanted to do what Norman Mailer did, but they censored all of the, um, oh. the the contrarian views of army life. But it's a great book because you get to meet his horse. That's very good. All right. So you're, so you're kind of raised around the writing world. Did you sense that was going to be where the waters you were going to be swimming in? Or as a young person, did you really just not have any idea? No. When I was 10, I wrote my first poem. Oh, okay. Having already, you know, the other thing too, I would, I would credit is that my mother subscribed to the New Yorker. Actually, my dad read the stories and she yeah. looked at the ads, yeah. but you know, they had all these little notes at the bottom for filler where it's kind of testing your discernment of tone uh-huh. and nuance of little clippings. Yeah. So I, and there were J.D. Salinger stories. And in those yeah. days, you know, it's like you read them in the New Yorker first. Yeah. And yeah, I guess I was inspired to be a, a writer early on. Yeah. And so here we are a few years later. Mm. Uh, and <laughs> you got your this 11th book, 10th book? 10th. 10th. Okay. Congrats. That's awesome. Nice round number. Um, it's about Hafez. So it it's a big, kind of a big project. It seems like you have a, you had a partner in it, but yeah. How did yeah. you come across Hafez's work, first of all, just in your own life? How were you introduced to him? Do you remember even? Yeah. Um, I really came to it through this book because I was aware he is, by everyone's account, untranslatable. That's that was this is what I was just reading about that can't be done. Right. And, and I will tell you, I will tell you, having read your translations, I and obviously I don't speak Persian or whatever specific language is written. I can understand, given the economy of the poems, why that would be the that would be daunting. Well, also, there's an appendix that has, you know, examples where originally they were in different colors, but we used gray, bold, italics to show all the different levels of uh, ambiguity and nuance and music that just fall away when you right. when you're away from persian yeah. so i mean what ha the way i got to this i'd been um in the middle of a story i'm already working with a translator in tehran we finished a, a manuscript contemporary sufi Mm -hmm. And I'm knocking on doors on Publishers Row, and one guy says, no, but we're looking for somebody to do Hafez for our little book series. Our roomie did very well. We've done Meister Eckhart. And I say to my partner, you know, somebody said no, but, and I know Hafez is untranslatable. And two days later, he blew my mind. He showed me these um, adaptions by the filmmaker Abbas Kiristami. And I said, let's do this. And we worked some up and we showed them to the publisher and they said, yes. And I said, wait, yeah. what you show, wait, but what you showed them were translations or so, what were you showing the publisher? So Abbas Kiristami is a filmmaker and he did okay. four books of Rumi, Farouk Farouk Saad, Saadi and Hafez. 
as well yeah. as two books of his own poetry. Okay. And what he does in these books is he'll take an entire poem and he'll look at it and he'll find a close-up of something. Okay. And he'll take the close-up and he'll make that into a poem. He'll edit that oh. into different lines. I see. Like I, vignettes. Okay. Right. He said also like text messages. There's there's a number of ways you can look at these, but they're right. not whole odes or gazelles. Right, right. Which is one reason why he's untranslatable, because the gazelles are just these like huge structures of internal melody and acidity. So what you've because first of all, I should say that the the arc in the publishing world called an arc that I got, I was which was was a PDF. Did it? Did is the published version include images that I'm not? I didn't get to see in my. Well, there's a map. Oh, okay, maybe not. Okay, so what I read are actually excerpt are kind of fragments of something of a larger work. Am I understanding? Well, so correctly? I mean, in the back, there's a, there's appendixes, there's glossaries, there's right. a long profile. In the back, there's a complete gazelle, so you can okay. read what an entire lyric of right of, of as is like um well when we have these like fragments although they stand alone they're like brief poems they are then our next question is how do we arrange them yeah and yeah. so we followed the um rhythm and uh um harmonics registrations of classical Persian music. And what came out is one long poem in five parts. Right. Like a symphony. Right. That's you pretty know, cool. It's, it's it's its own, it's its own, it's, you know, in and of itself, it's its own thing. And um... <laughs> when you say your partner, so it's obviously it's a translation I know you've done translation. Were you both translating? Were you pair? Like, how did, how was that labor? Right. Done? Right. You mean this one or in general? For this one, for this one in particular. For this one, um, we'd already done a book. We'd done it by email. I And I said, look, before we even sign a contract, let's try using um, a Google Doc and a Google uh, video teleconferencing. Right. And he'd never done, and even though he's more tech savvy than me, we, he'd never done that before. And um, we're in the Google Doc, and I'm, I said, see this? And I highlighted it, and then I made it 24 points, and then I changed the, the points, the, the the font. Right. And he started, you know, his eyes actually had to be glued back in his head. And so we worked together in real time with both hands. Really? The manuscript. And he'd insert something and I'd see it and I'd pop in. You were literally working. Like that. That's so funny. I interviewed a husband and wife who co-authored a, a book, a novel that they wrote during lockdown. And I said, yeah. you know, how'd you do it? And they said, well, we would sit together at the computer and just line by line together, work it out. And I thought that your marriage still exists is is a miracle because I that so you were literally writing it together doing it like in real time together yeah I mean it was phenomenal wow. 
and God. and then there's this there's him and I. Yeah. There's the spirit of Abbas Karastani. Sure. sure. And we were familiar with his filmmaking, and occasionally we, you know, we'd say, no, 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 no. He puts the and on the end. That's the Kiristamian conjunction. We right. won't use that, but we're collaborating right. with Kiristami. But most of all, Hafez is coming alive in a new way. And so it wasn't so, but you had heard it's untranslatable now, but you had to at some point say, I disagree. I mean, I know you saw the, the, the films of this man, which inspired you, but still uh, you have, if you, if that's the legend that's the urban myth around Hafez. There had to be some part of you that said, no, I think we can create something so that an English speaker could really capture what Persian speakers have loved for centuries. So yeah. when did you decide it was, was it just the seeing the films that made you decide it was possible? No, 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 it's not his films. It was his book. I mean, his books, his book, his book. The, the book, right. yeah, the the book, book of Hafez. Hafez right. he, and in his, it's in 22 sections. Right. So we made it five. Oh, okay. five. It's like a symphony. And, you know, it's got a, a it unfolds right. in a certain way. And I wasn't aiming for a long poem. Right. Or, you know, I was just kind of, we're, we're very much, it's like the macro and the micro. I'm very, we're very much looking at 250 um, final ed, out of all of them, out of you right. know, 400, we picked 250 and then how to arrange them. Yeah. Um, the publisher also inserted a uh, creative uh, element and said, well, you can't put just one per page. Right, right. And so what that inspired was, oh, how could we make arrangements? And, you know, it could be a wedge. The wedge could right. go this way or it could be a square. Yeah. But not often two columns. Right. And sometimes they go across the gutter. They go, you know, so that the left hand and right hand are one unit instead of two yeah <laughs> so right. you know assembling it on that level was, i'd say it was kind of cinematic but you know what what i was reminded of listening to you describe that is what i think filmmakers have to do when they've got been given a book say say make a movie out of this i really think you know the filmmaker has to say the book is the book now the film is going to be the film I, they have to be, it has to be, the film has to be its own creation in its own yeah. way, based, of course, on the spirit of the book. But if you try to just recreate the book, you can't do it. The book. Erskine Caldwell, Tobacco Road, was hired by Hollywood in the days when if you're a writer, you get Hollywood, right. they right. try you out. Right. And they checked in on, they gave him a studio and they 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 looked in his room when he was away two weeks later at the book he was adapting and he was pasting pages from the book. <laughs> Onto another <laughs> thing and underlining right. things. And they said, uh, no, you know, that's not how it works. The, the, there's an essay by Eisenstein on adapting uh, is the treatment. And it's brilliant about just that. And he, and there's another, I've read a lot of Eisenstein. There's one where he takes you through a piece of prose mm -hmm. and you read the whole thing. And then he asks you, at what point do, would you start filming it? And in his class, you hear people say, he says, no, it's much further. It's further along. It's the point where they open the door and they smell the bread. Right, right. And you realize, oh, he's really working from within. Yeah. Well, 
other than just the literal sense of, well, it's just this and do we, it's not like tracing paper. No, it, it really isn't. And you have to allow, for, you know, if you're a writer and you give your work over to a filmmaker, you really have to, I, I think you have to allow them to create, it's a totally different palette, the screen. I remember when I first wrote a screenplay, I was like, oh, cause I come from theater and that where you just dialogue and dialogue and dialogue and dialogue, that's all there is. And it was like, okay, take, write your dialogue, take out half and then take out half again, because you just, it really is such a visual, such right. a visual medium. All right. So Gary, how are you feeling about the work? How do you feel? How did you change writing it? What changed in Gary from before he wrote it to after he wrote it? Can you even tell? Oh, I'm still being transformed by it. Yeah. How so? I'm, I'm, I'm basking in the fact that I have an intimate um, connection now to Hafez of my own. Yeah. And seeing what happens when other people make theirs. Yeah. Um, is an even extra layer. I'm, you know, I'm, it's velvet. I'm on cloud nine. So, <laughs> so far. But so you, how does that, that connection manifest? What does it mean to you? I feel connected to, I'll say that to my memoir students some way. Sometimes they'll say, oh, I could hear Jesus talking to me. I'm like, okay, that's great. But what is that to actually, what is the physical experience of that? So if you feel a connection to Hafez, how do you feel it? What does that mean? Well, this is a different, this is a different show. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Buddhist I mean, I'm Jewish, right? And then right. I became a Buddhist, and I've been right. a practicing Buddhist for most of my life. Yep. I host a Buddhist group. Yep. I'm ordained by Thich Nhat Hanh. Buddhist Zen is my that's way. Your, that's your gig. Got it. It's yeah. my way. It's my career, yeah. and all yeah. this comes out of it. Right. And I've just dove into Sufism for the first time. Mm hmm And, but, but what do you say? No, I've, I've said, okay, yeah. Well, what do you think? I, what do you think? How do you like it? So in a nutshell, I'd say right off, one of the things that I'm aware of that I hadn't before is to what degree of passion compassion implies. Having like it. had this sense of, you don't want to be attached. You want to be, you know, like equanimity doesn't mean indifferent. Right. It really right. means inclusive. Okay. Yep. Right. You yep. see the whole. Yep. Picture. Yep. And that in Sufi terms is, it's very much like the Song of Songs or the uh, or this aspect of it. There's an aspect of it that Hafez is known for. It's a philosophy, Persian philosophy of love, where the, the mortal and the divine, um, they interfuse, but there's also the, the feelings of separation and longing of, of the experience. So it's not always, you know, just, you know, make me one with everything. Right, right. <laughs> right, you're done. Right. There, you know, the various, so it's the various phases of love, human, mirror and magnify our relation to what we call the divine. Right, right. Um, man, what an experience. Yeah, you're to, liking it. To understand that through... The words of this great teacher. 
I think that's that one of, you know, you're asking me a great question that I should sit down in my notebook because <laughs> I haven't really done it yet. I've just yeah. kind of been subverbally. This is the thing. A lot of times when I write, so I write what would be loosely called memoir, which is stories about things that happened to me. But often the question I'm asking myself is, okay, that happened. I felt that way. Why? Why did, why did I feel like, what actually brought about that? How do I describe, oh, I felt like I was leaving my body. What does that mean? Why did I feel like I was leaving my body? What does that really mean? And so I'm always poking at like, I know something is true. Now I got to go find out why it's true. So like, I, I'm sure you feel connected to Hafez. What does that mean? What is that actually? Like, how do you, how do you help someone understand that who has never felt connected to something that doesn't, that isn't right in front of them? Okay, right? and I'll give you another example. It goes beyond Sufism. The, the word Hafez, his nickname, right. is refers to the fact that this was like his gig, his his day job. He worked in the in the in the court most yeah. of his life when he yeah. could. And he could teach the Quran. He could recite the Quran in all 15 different ways. <laughs> um, so, so the story goes. <laughs> right. That's Who knows? What Right. That's what that's, that's so I heard. Right. That's what I heard. We'll say and, so. You know, have you read the Quran? No, sir. You, you've read the Old Testament? Yeah. Uh, bits and pieces. Testament? I'm not a, I am not a, uh, I was not raised with any religious background whatsoever. Yeah. All of it came to me in bits and pieces from wherever. But my, I should say, my father went to Harvard Divinity, but by the time I was born, there was no church involved in my house. So there was a kind of like, we're done with all that. And oh. so, I just sort of would pick up snippets here and there. Oh. Yeah, Navala says uh, God is dead and man is his prophet. Well, uh, we I could... was told, I was told, I was teaching a class, and guy came racing up to me afterwards. He says, you're a Buddhist. I said, I'll take it. And I think he was talking about, because I was preaching, you might say, in this class, a sort of non-attachment, which is critical, I think, for writers. But I totally agree with you that, I don't know, well, non-attachment, does not mean indifference. I know you weren't saying non-attached, but to me, it's the opposite of that. But yeah. uh, but it's it's quite the opposite, but it requires, it's a constant practice. It's a constant, well, for me, it is. It's a constant practice to sort of come yeah, back to that center. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, what I was thinking, number two, is um, Islam. Sufism mm -hmm. is this little subset. right. You know, like Zen is to Buddhism and Hasidism is to Judaism and the Christian mystics were to Christianity. Right. And I'm just becoming more aware of an Islamic, you know, point of view for one of a better world that up until right. now was like, you make a field trip, you see a mosque, you come back. Right. Right. But you don't, you know, it's like, well, we all eat some something afterwards. Right. <laughs> right. No, let's um, how else have I been changed? Um it's kind of it's a I, I always I think, think also I have less sense of now trying to achieve anything anymore. I think oh, I kind of uh, I, uh, man, I envy you. <laughs> it's like it's all at this point, it's all a gift. Maybe it's because I'm 77, but to me, having worked in the garden of Hafez, that's like mamish, that's it. Now that's it's it. all... That's as good as it gets. It's as good yeah. as it gets. Yeah, so I have less sense of 
you know, um, trying to, you know, get anywhere or, or achieve anything or be a success. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in my own quiet, cultured, reclusive way, you know, I'm very happy. And do, do you think, um, don't you, do you think when you have that experience, you're like, oh, I don't have to achieve anything. I don't have to strive. Don't you look back a little bit and think, I never had to? I mean, not that I didn't want to have, create things and do something, but what a what it, a in an unreal requirement I put on myself. Um, what a unnecessary stick or carrot. What do you think? What do you think? And that's not just true as writers, right? No, it's the human beings, just humanity. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's the 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 great teaching that I'm um, living in right now. I uh, remember there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do, and so there's something to do and right. somewhere to go, but without the sense of like there's any distance. Hafez says, you know, in the path of love, there's no near or far. It's true. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, it's a good place. It has no shore. The sea of love has no shore. I know that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, all right. So you've done this work. How long did it take you? I'm just curious. 10 years, 30 years, a month. How long did it take you? You mean like now? This this particular book. How long did it take? Yeah, now. How long did it take you approximately? You know, I, I'm a bad historian, but it, you know, it was a book once once we had the contract and we hadn't really done this, you know, it's whatever, you know, you have a year or a year. Okay. So it's all right. So sort of, I think a, at one point I had to delay it because I had a medical issue, oh, well, but I'm it was, the, I'm fine. And it was the typical publishing cycle. Okay. And so now you're other than like other books. I did one book and the publisher kept saying, you know, the spring catalogs coming up, we could put it in there. I said, no, not yet. Right. Right. And that, so, you know, even if you're on contract, you don't have to, Follow that, yeah. Time, right. That timing thing. Yeah. But this was a standard, you know. It, which catalog it was going to go into? We knew when it was going to be done. Um, yeah. And so, and so, do you? So the next book, if there is a next book, you're just going to let it come to you. Well, I have unpublished books. Oh, <laughs> do you think? But okay. But let me ask you this: You have unpublished books, but do you at now? Sometimes you have an unpublished book, and you think, you know what? It was right that it shouldn't have been. It was right to not get published. But you have some that you feel you would like to see in the like to see out in the world. Well, yeah. Also, you know, at seventy-seven, I realized they're not all going to be published right in my lifetime. And if right. not, who's going to publish them? So, right. yeah, I am kind of saying, yeah, I think the children's book, I should put that out. The historical uh, book, yeah, that's going to be a tough sell. Uh, you know, right. And so I, you know, I have like out of 12, I'm, you know, it's a list. Yeah. But I have less sense of like, you know, that I have to. And also because I don't specialize. I like doing something different all the time. Right. There's no sense that I have to, if I've done A is for alphabet and B is for beauty. Right. I have to, C is for charming or anything. Right. Yeah. You don't, 
the publishers publishers want you to specialize as much. <laughs> they would prefer if you do one thing over and over again. Well, that, yeah, no, because then you, can then, do. then you get an end cap with all right. of them. And that's right. They make that's them in right. a little scallop when your new one comes out. That's on the, right. That's right. And But you got to do what you want to do. All right. So uh, the book is Hafez's Little Book of Life, uh, Hampton Road Books. It's a good book, people. It's a good book. Pick it up, meditate over it, sit with it, absorb it. Uh, they're almost like cones, little Zen cones, the way they're composed. They have that openness to them. I, anyway, it's beautiful. I loved it. Um, Gary, I'm not quite through with you. Uh, you may recall, I like to have you reflect a little bit more on your life. And if all the writing you have done, done a lot of it, has taught you anything today at 77, what do you think that writing has taught you about being a person? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I've just found how words have their place mm. when they're from the heart and how they exist in a realm of silence. What do you and, mean by that? And... What do you explain? What do you mean by in a realm of silence? See, what do I mean by silence? Well, Bill. <laughs> I know what silence is, but what you mean like as in the blank, in, in, in the same way the word exists on the blank page, essentially? Uh, start all over. Okay. I I began, we started the program with, you know, uh, uh, Gary Gach at 10, having already published his, written his first poem, Return Trip. Right having thought about writing for several years. And now at this phase of the uh, journey, uh, looking back, and that initial impulse, I still recognize as being not just self-expression, you know, me, 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 I want to be right. like those people and, right. you know, get prizes and things, right. but rather, you know, wanting to, connect with what's deep within me and in and in the world through language yeah and i'm now kind of aware that that communication also means deep listening yeah. which you are have a great one of the greatest listeners i know well in an interview should but you're <laughs> good you know well thank you and, you know, like when I grow up, I want to be Bill Canal. Oh, well, that's good. Good luck. <laughs> it's hard enough. <laughs> hey, you know, actually, so, Gary, I'm gonna, I, I love that. I love that. It's a very good comp. That's a, the greatest compliment you can give me. And I have come to understand in part through this that living is listening. Writing is listening. That being is listening in a lot of ways. That that's that that every that that's the greatest. Tool you can Matt, you can skill you can master i think and it's both though it's not just listening it's also speaking right it's, but the speaking comes from the listening i feel like that the two are absolutely linked it's absolutely but linked. there's a hierarchy i think if i had to choose one it would be listening i'd rather listen than if i if i want to be good at only one thing it would be listening and that i feel like the right, speaking right. would come naturally as a result good listening attentive listening because yeah, when you're if because when you're writing and you're not listening it's not writing when you're yeah. writing and listening and still listening <laughs> it's still listening 
You're always listening, baby. So, See, yeah. I, I knew this question would be a long answer, which is why I wanted to ask it of you. Gary. So think about, you know, just think it, but think about this. I've spent the majority of my books now translating. I know. I mean, it's something I just throw out there for the larger, you know, not just the NPWA community, but all the writers is that I'd say, if I may kind of just throw this yeah. in here. Because you were recent, also you were recently talking about writer's block and, mm, and sure. some of the programs. Yeah. If you're translating, you don't have a writer's block. You're just sort of maybe waiting for a word to come so that a translate that translation will be done. Yeah, like a stamp in the mail for your stamp collection. Yep, and it it gets your 120 lines done, but you you're working from something to jump off from. That's right. And yet you can still, it's still as a medium for a first level order of creation. Absolutely. And in fact, when I talk to my students about writing, I say, think of it as translation because something comes to you and it is pre-linguistic. It's an image, it's a thought, it's a feeling, it's a action. And then you translate it into something, into a three-dimensional five sensory experience into what? Thought. That's all it is, just thought. And you have to translate it so someone else can have a three-dimensional, five-sensory experience in their imagination. We're all translators, Gary. We're all translators, baby. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, my friend. Go pick up Hafez's little book of life. You won't regret it. All right. Yeah, we're all translators. It's true. We're all just translators. That's what we do. It's, that's, that's what we do. Told you it was interesting. He's a pretty interesting guy. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Get well, my friend. And I want to thank all of you out there for listening. You know, go translate something from an idea to words so other people can experience it too, as they can. Go find something you love. Go find something you love to write about, and then go find something you love to do, and do it. <laughs>